Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. We find divisiveness to be really fucking boring. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. How many creatives out there haven't dreamt of creating an advertising campaign solely so they could meet one of their idols? Or donated money to a dog's political campaign because it seemed like fun? Ryan Reynolds has done both for Mint Mobile and then some. Over the past few years, maximum effort has become the envy of the creative marketing industry for its ability to conceive great ideas and move quickly to execute them. With every YouTube clip for Aviation Gin, you can hear the advertising industry saying, damn, I wish I could do that. But it's not just fun and games. Trust me, it's serious business, which we'll cover in a second. You know him as Deadpool, Green Lantern, and yes, that naked guy tackled by Sandra Bullock in that one movie. Please join me in welcoming Ryan Reynolds. Ryan, thank you for joining me. That was an amazing introduction, Michael. Thank you for that. <laughs> Listen, you know, my dad did stand up when he was a kid, so I try to keep the uh, family, I try to keep the family tradition going. You're doing it well. It's great. There you go. It's great. So, so maximum effort, your company and the acquisition by Mountain, formerly Steelhouse, has taken Adland by surprise. I'm sure you were approached by just about everyone in the business after the success you've had. What was it about uh, about this particular opportunity that turned you into uh, a settler? <laughs> a settler? I don't know about that. You know, well, I say pioneers get the arrows, settlers get the land. So, oh, wow. I think yeah. you've been both a pioneer and a settler. Uh, uh, both of those analogies frighten me terribly, Michael. But um, I, I, you know, I would, I would, I would say that you know there are a lot of reasons you know, for, for this decision, but the biggest of which I think was culture, you know, I mean, culturally speaking at maximum effort, we want to move fast. You know, we want to obviously break new ground and have fun. Um, you know, mountain values those things too, you know, and as companies grow, I think that's, that's oftentimes it's really hard to maintain, you know, so we decided that going the tech route was probably a little, you know, at least better suited for our strengths than the traditional agency route, which tends to, you know, wind up in a similar place, not a bad place, but I think a similar place for sure. Well, I'm happy to tell you that for many, many years, we at MediaLink worked with Steelhouse and, and Mark Douglas and a lot of the leadership at what is now Mountain. And I know you're in an amazing place and it's an amazing opportunity. So, you know, I like to define MediaLink as being so conflicted that it's not conflicted, but you know, this is a place <laughs> where I, I know the buyer and, and now I know the seller. And yeah. I think it's going to be a great marriage. I do. Yeah, I do, I do too. I really, you know, you, you, somebody once said to me a long time ago, I guess I could just say it here. It was, it, it was, I was lucky, lucky enough to work with Denzel Washington years ago. And he said this about, you know, directors particularly, or even producers to a certain extent was if you don't, if you don't trust the pilot, don't get in the plane, you know? And in this instance, we, 
trust the pilot because we are also we also get to fly the plane as well. So it's sort of yes. amazing that we get to co-pilot this thing uh, together with Mark and the mountain team, and and it really does feel like a match made in heaven. Well, as long as you separate uh, aviation gin from your hand on the throttle of the airplane, that's okay. <laughs> yes. Church, church and state are, are well separated. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. What is it? Throttle to bottle or bottle to throttle? You have to have a certain uh, separation. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. Ryan, the commercials for Aviation Gin, as I said, Mint Mobile and Match are truly some of the most talked about spots around. They came together fast, setting a new bar for sure. And, you know, people today need quick time, if you will, not the kind on our computers, but quick time in terms of responsive marketing. You coined a, a phrase, which I love, and I want to make sure I pronounce it right, fastertizing, if, yeah. I've, said it, if I've said it right. Perfect. Um, yeah. Give me a little history on that. I mean, do it uh, fast and make it happen are two things that I subscribe to, but tell me how you manifest that and how you see that uh, giving you an advantage. Well, yes. Well, speed notwithstanding, you know, I think that the creative world always comes down to what what do you enjoy? What do you love? You know, and I just know, I know what works for us. You know, we didn't start out, you know, wanting to start an agency. It was, it was me and it was George Dewey and we were just trying to make each other laugh, you know? And I think that that in, in its true essence is the spirit of maximum effort, you know, and, you know, it, we would, we would look at moments we would be acknowledging and playing with the cultural landscape. And we would say like, wow, like we'd come up with an idea or something. We'd say, How quickly can we get that done? Because it works if you do it quickly, but like, can we actually manifest this now? And, you know, we would, of course, we would spend tons of time thinking about this, but it was, you know, it was hours, it wasn't weeks, you know, and yeah, it's, I also think that, you know, particularly in advertising and, and marketing, you know, you can sometimes think an idea to death, you know, so it's, for us, it's a little bit about, you know, going with our guts and telling stories and, you know, acknowledging and playing with aspects of the zeitgeist that really make us laugh. And it's not always just comedy. Sometimes it's something that's emotional, you know? I mean, we are, our sort of core well, belief uh, system is bringing people together. I relate to that in a funny way. A long time ago, celebrating our 25th anniversary, a long time ago, I said to my wife, she said, do you want a party? It was my birthday and our anniversary, a milestone birthday and anniversary. She said, do you want a party? I said, I don't know. She said, how about an anniversary party? I said, under one condition. I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to read that letter. And if I think it's funny, then we're going to have a party. That's the invitation. But I have to think <laughs> it's funny. And I read the letter and I went, damn, that was pretty funny. That's and funny. we had the party. But it, as you said that, it really, I have to say, it really resonated because I agree. You got to, two things in humor, I guess, if you have to explain a joke, it's probably not funny. And no. if you overthink something, it's probably going to lose its resonance and its timeliness. Uh, yeah, you know, in, yeah. In, and I think, I think, I think, I think I speak for most people, you know, really most people, you know, think themselves, you know, into oblivion. You know, I know I do. I wish I could stop my brain sometimes, you know, it's, I tend to overthink everything, you know, so that's, that's something that I've really, uh, and, and as well as George Dewey as well has, you know, we've, we've been very disciplined about not bringing into our work. Yeah. Well, it's important. And I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing George in previous lives and I understand the attraction and, you know, his being quick on his feet in terms of understanding that zeitgeist. 
You've, yeah. you've made very good choices uh, in <laughs> acquirers and partners, I will tell you that. Say, so thinking, yeah. talking about overthinking, if you look at the range from the, the vasectomy cocktail tutorial for aviation gin for Father's Day to Satan and the year 2020 become the match made in hell, back to our point, the spots and the ads and the and the stuff you've done is is actually pretty damn funny. Did you ever question the, you know, lighthearted tone, especially last year? You know, what we saw was advertisers reacting to the early part of the pandemic. And, you know, the way I've described it to others was quick service restaurants. Traditionally, quick service restaurants showed you, you know, beautiful pictures of hamburgers and French fries and crispy fried chicken. And then for the better part of last year, they did the appropriate thing, which is they focused on frontline workers and took some of the fun out of getting there. And yet, on the other hand, you found a way brilliantly, in my opinion, to bring that levity back. And yet, against backdrop of a time when people probably needed to laugh, but were afraid to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, look, I, I can understand why corporations and companies are, are very careful around that stuff, what's going on, you know, in, in, in the world and as they should be, you know, um, I, I also think you don't want to pander to people. I think people really want to really want to laugh. And I think if your heart is in the right place, as sort of silly as that sounds, it tends to kind of work out as long as you're self-aware. I, I remember I read this book on parenting because I have three daughters and, you know, you're not, you're not born knowing how to do it. So, you know, I really tried to, <laughs> as best I could, educate myself on on how, you know, best I can equip my kids with, you know, the tools to get them through a very, you know, the world, which can be very, you know, confusing and, and scary at times. But, you know, one of the things that this book said that I really resonated with me and actually sort of applies to creativity as well, which is that, you know, you don't necessarily want your kids to be happy. Like that's not the goal. The goal is for them to be self-aware. You know, and I think that that is something that is, has, you know, for me has been a bit of a North Star in so many aspects of my life is not to just, you know, happiness leads to all kinds of, you know, or, or at least enforcing, trying, trying to, you know, live up to some standard of happiness is like a really kind of a fruitless effort. But being self-aware really allows you to welcome in the, uh, the moments that aren't, you know, ideal necessarily, or the moments that are sad or anxiety inducing or angry making or whatever it is, you know? So I think in our, in our work, we try to have some self-awareness and we try to do it with respect, but at the end of the day, like maximum effort, maximum effort really exists to bring people together. I mean, it is our edict. We do not, we find divisiveness to be really fucking boring and it's not something that we're into. And, and we love the idea of bringing people together, whether it's emotionally, whether it's over humor, whether it's over, anything. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a huge part of the, the culture at our company. Well, I'll tell you something, Ryan, I was reading an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, uh, and it was about Bill Maher, and it talked about what a comics tools were. And a mm. comics tools are exaggeration, satire, and sarcasm. And that really resonated with me because I don't, again, take myself seriously as a comic, but I do tell a joke or two. And sure. I've said to people forever, back to my dad, who did comedy as a kid, I said, what I was sure of was that he never told a joke once that was intended to be anything other than funny. Mm -hmm. It wasn't intended to hurt somebody's feelings. It wasn't yeah. intended, you know, and if you look at humor 
whether it's in commercial messaging or just life in general, through that lens, knowing you need irony, you need sarcasm, you need satire, you need exaggeration, yeah. but you need good intent, especially yeah. in a market where people want authenticity. I think your approach is right. Yeah, you know, I, well, thanks. I, I, I also think, you know, you don't necessarily need to, you know, sacrifice a certain group in order to, you know, appease a different one. I think there's, there are ways to approach it. It's just, if you, you know, if you're thinking about it the right way, there are a lot of ways, there are a lot of different ways you can tackle something, but I'll tell you something in 2021, I do not envy the work of the stand-up comedian. <laughs> it's gotta be, that's one of the hardest <laughs> jobs out there. I think. Yeah. yeah. God knows. God knows. So let me personalize this, Ryan. You aren't just making ads for anybody. You've got stakes, so to speak, legitimately in the businesses that you're advertising for. I want you to be self-aware and tell me a little bit about Ryan Reynolds as a client. What kind of client are you? Are you a guy everyone likes to work with or are you a pain in the ass? You know, what's how are you as a client? Ryan, well, Ryan Reynolds, he's impetuous and wildly insecure. Uh, bit of a monster. No, I, I think I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm you know, I, I, I think I, as a I work hard. I mean, I, I really do work very, very hard at, at what I do, you know, and I, and I get that the position that I'm in is a little bit easier because there isn't a lot of red tape involved. If I want to execute an idea, I can, I'm very fortunate to, to be able to make that happen quite quickly and, and, and remove the layers, you know? So I think I, yeah, but I think as a, as a client, I, yeah, I'm, 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 I probably have a pretty high bar, a pretty high standard. I probably work, you know, I, 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 I love team efforts. I love working with people. I mean, I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't love telling stories and working with people. I mean, everything that I've ever done that is, that has been what I would consider a great experience and a great, you know, outcome has been as the, has been a direct result of collaboration, you know, oh. and I love, I love, I, I love when a, a somebody has a, a note on something or, 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 or asks a question about a moment that uh, the story that we're telling that isn't necessarily something I agree with or like, I like, usually I call it the note behind the note, you know, so, but they are feeling something that isn't quite right yet. And I want to get to the bottom of that. So, you know, and then the other thing that's, I think really benefited me in these instances is, is having some understanding of conflict resolution, you know, being able to kind of mirror empathize and validate people not from a marketing perspective, but just from a day-to-day -day work perspective. I think it's a, uh, it's been a tool that uh, has served me so well in my adult life. I wish they taught it uh, in schools. You know, I wish that, yeah. I wish I'd learned that in elementary school. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, youth is wasted on the young. I, yes. I wish I knew that. I, I wish I knew then <laughs> what I know now. Uh, right. Yeah. You know. Me too. So Ryan, and the results in your work in front of the camera indicate what I'm about to say is absolutely true. You set a high standard and you deliver. You're hot and the market knows it and you've got legs. So it, using all the Hollywood jargon yeah. Uh, yeah. relative to you know your career and you've set the bar high. What advice do you have for others who may not be so lucky and have to pitch ideas and you, know, you get to pitch to yourself. I mean, mm -hmm. not literally, because obviously you've got a partner like George and others around you that are, you know, part of your own, what I guess I'd call board of directors. But what sure. advice would you give when that creative is pitching the idea or the producer who's got to come up with the concept? Is there any advice generally you'd give? <laughs> well, okay, first off, I will concede 
that that the position is easier, you know, but I think that the only way that it gets better or that anything gets better is removing layers. You know, so my first piece of advice to anybody uh, would be to make friends with your client, to try to find out, you know, what they're what they're like, try to find out what they need, you know, and then become an advocate, you know, internally for more openness, for transparency, for speed. You know, and I think the wonderful thing about moving fast is that it really it almost forces everyone to remove layers. You know, so it's it's uh, there's they they both weirdly serve each other. You know, it's interesting, Ryan, when you said make your client your friend. This is a commercial tagline from a thousand years ago for a, a landline telephone company that used to be known as Pactel, and the and the tagline which actually changed my career was, believe it or not, a commercial tagline changed my career, and I mean that. It said, some of the best business calls are personal. And that really caught me. Wow. It was like, build that relationship, get to know the client, become friends. Yeah. You just said it, and I'm telling you, I was wildly influenced by that concept back yeah. in the day. Well, I think you're so right about that, though. I think it also becomes you know, authentic, which is the thing that everybody's looking for is authenticity. You know, they just want to feel like they're being spoken to in ways that, you know, isn't pandering, you know, but I love, I love things like that because, you know, the, the, it's a, it's got a little kind of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross kind of vibe to it, which I think is, is, is still, Absolutely. You know, that, that movie hit hard for me uh, when I, when I was younger. And, um, you know, I've also seen that the, the, the play is pretty, pretty damn spectacular as well, but like that's sort of a, you know, that's a, a nugget of wisdom that, you know, you would you would almost see in, in, in a piece like that. It's absolutely right. An evening of David Mamet was something that I would take over and over and over again. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, sir. You know. yeah. Brian, you already know you're a trendsetter, but, you know, when we look at the market today and others from the entertainment side of the business, you know, there were those who used to say, if an entertainer did a commercial, you used to have to do them overseas. Yes, because, you know, yeah. I remember somebody saying to me years ago when Cher did an infomercial and the person who was picking it apart said, it's a career ender. Well, that, wow. career, ender made, yeah, that career ender made her about $50 million. So yeah, I'm not sure if it was a career ender, <laughs> but, but, but yeah. you, know, that, you know that to be true. In the old days, mm -hmm. a performer, if you were gonna ever do a watch commercial or a car commercial, you do it in Japan. You wouldn't do it on this side of the pond. That's yeah, changed. I, I, yeah, it has changed because it's fun. I mean, let's not forget there. It's, it's, it's another aspect of telling stories. Now, granted, it's diet storytelling because they're shorter, they're smaller, they're you know more conveniently packaged, but it's still storytelling. So I, I get why people want to get involved in it. And I think, you know, I, at the end of the day, I think, the entrepreneurial world allows them to flex other muscles, you know, and diversify a little bit. And I think a lot of people are are interested in that, you know. But I I, I also think like there, the, the longer you're sort of in, you know, whatever industry you're in, you you realize that these are all relationship businesses, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, like the the, the things that I do on camera, things that I do behind the camera, you know, pale in comparison to the to the unsexy stuff that you're doing outside of that, which is where the real sort of relationship building happens, you know? I mean, so much of, I think, Aviation Gin's success and certainly Mint Mobile's success have been, you know, picking up the phone, getting on planes, going to meet people, shaking hands, sitting down, talking about how we can, you know, find mutually beneficial and common ground. And I think those are the things that, 
if anyone, whether they were a celebrity or not, if they had any, if they asked me for any kind of advice, that's the first thing I would say was that, was that, you know, be kind of the person that, you know, you say you are in your commercials, <laughs> you know, be the person that you, that, that you, you would like everyone else to be. I think it's the stuff that you're doing behind closed doors. That is the, the most important. And I, and it's the stuff that I've found is to be, to be most effective is really is that this is a relationship business, almost like every other major industry. And, you know, you're, you, you have to approach it with some level of integrity. And when you show up, you're telling people, you're signaling to them that they can count on you. And I think Absolutely. that you cannot underestimate the uh, power and the importance of that. It's uh, it's huge, and it's and it's something that I hope I can instill into my own children. <laughs> you know, it's something that um, I know George Dewey does at Maximum Effort. I know every you know James Tony does. Everyone that works at Maximum Effort that is you know part of this team understands the the, the value in that. You know, I was giving somebody career advice literally this morning, and they they're choosing between two opportunities for a you know a professional move. And this particular person said, you know, this one opportunity, I'll probably make a shit ton more money, yeah. but the other opportunity I'm more passionate about. Huh. And I gave this person advice that was given to me a long time ago, uh, which was, do what you're good at. And Ryan, I have to ask you the question. I took this chance once and it ended up making me sing in front of an audience of a few thousand people. So I hope that doesn't happen here. But <laughs> I asked I asked Tyler Perry a couple of years ago, what let him know that he was funny? What let him know that he was should do what he did and what he's done? And he said his mother always told him he was funny. And of course, I said, yeah, well, my mother told me I had a good voice, but I'm not a singer. And he said, before we get off this stage, you're going to sing. And lo and behold, before we got off that stage, he made me know a tune. I was singing because yeah. he, he wasn't letting me go. But what yeah. was it for Ryan Reynolds? Well, yeah, I mean, look, let me start there. You know, I think the, the thing that it, where I would say the defining moment in my life or my career, not my life, but my career was was when I really embraced failure when I was like really like genuinely embraced it you know I really understood this idea that you can't be great at something unless you're willing to be bad at it and that is something that has allowed me to kind of achieve or, or unlock all these other aspects of my personality that I had previously kind of ignored you know I mean marketing and advertising certainly one of them which is just you know as a, as a young buck starting out I would you know I would look at the publicity uh, obligations, the marketing obligations is just that obligatory, you know? And then one day, you know, I, I really understood this, the notion that necessity is the mother invention. I had worked 10 years to get Deadpool made and the studio finally gave us, you know, just enough money to actually film something, not to make a proper movie, but just barely enough movie to actually scrounge. And necessity became the mother invention. And I really, I had to promote and market the movie without giving all of the movie away. So I re, you know, George Dewey and I, that's where we really connected for the first time was we had to really find unique ways to invade the zeitgeist and get into, you know, your, your, your movie, the moviegoers heads and get them to want to see this movie without having to give away all of our materials. So those, those were huge things. But then the, to, to your earlier uh, uh, question, you know, I, I think when I sort of realized that I was able to kind of my my for me it was a maladaptive coping mechanism i mean i grew up in a house that was was you know by any standard healthy enough but it was tricky my dad was a tough tough guy he was a cop and an ex-boxer and a 
you know, a real hard ass. And I was the youngest of four kids and I was like a skin covered antenna. You know, I just felt everything. <laughs> and I really worked very hard to kind of disarm people. I was, I found that I was always putting the pin back in the grenade with my father. Now I recognize as a parent now that is not a child's responsibility <laughs> to do that in any way, shape or form, but it did really give me kind of a unique training ground or experience with really being incredibly observational about, about people and about human behavior and all of those things. And, and that's kind of what led me to the arts, you know, and I, so I, I look back at that with extraordinary gratitude. I also look back at that for what it really is, which is probably not the most healthy dynamic on earth, but, but, you know, my, my dad, he was a guy that was, was very tough and, and, you know, had good values and was, was at the end of the day, a good man. But, um, you know, I found myself trying to make him laugh. I found myself trying to disarm him, try to keep him sort of, you know, uh, laughing or chuckling or happy. And, and, you know, as the youngest of four boys, I was uh, also staying, trying to stay alive with my brothers. Yeah. I wasn't going to beat anyone with my fists. So I had to sort of have a bit of a silver tongue and, you know, I, that was the, so, so inevitably they're all kind of maladaptive coping mechanisms, but nonetheless, they've, I've sort of figured out how to, you know, craft them into something that's, you know, I guess, I don't know, borderline useful. Well, it's it's interesting. I was also the youngest in my family, but I had oh, two you know, older. Yeah. yeah, I do. But I had two older sisters. So as my sister said, that I was the son S U N. That might explain something about my personality. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> yeah. But I I do have to, I do have to uh, go back for a moment because I was hanging around the lot quite a bit. We were doing a lot of work back then for twentieth when Deadpool came out, and I remember all the noise inside and, and the the anticipation, but the anxiety and then the cheering in the halls when it was such a blockbuster. Because uh, yeah. I don't know, it, maybe you did, but not many people expected what happened as a result of Deadpool. It was quite a yeah, story. It was a, and it was, it was quite a surprise. It was yeah. quite a surprise. I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. So, I mean, it was such a great moment for me and I was glad I was in my 30s because I was able to appreciate it. You know, it's sort of like that moment where you remind yourself to look around and, and and note the moment. And I, you know, and I did, but it was also, you know, it was 10 years of devotion and hard work to get it there. And, you know, of a lot, a, a hell of a lot of no's. I still have a this thing at home called the Deadpool book of no. And it's every no email I got from every studio executive for, for yeah. a decade uh, on Deadpool, uh, you know, from before it was ever even a 20th Century Fox all the way right up, you know, through there. So uh, it was I, I'm grateful to Emma Watts and a few other people who, who ended up believing in it and really letting uh, us make a, it. A great executive for sure. You know, it reminds me when The Graduate came out and here was this overnight success called Dustin Hoffman. And yeah. he was being interviewed and they said, you know, you're an overnight success. He says, yeah, I've been doing summer stock for 15 years. If you consider that <laughs> an overnight success, I guess, I guess it yeah. applies, you yeah. know. So, Ryan, as we wrap, and I genuinely appreciate, as I said at the outset, you spending the time with me today. And oh, I know goodness. our listeners will as well and viewers. Um, if you were forced to pick just one professional role, actor, producer, entrepreneur, creative director, which one would you keep? Or, you know, even better, is it a multiple choice? Could you pick all of the above or uh, maybe none of the above? But if you had to pick one, the, the tougher answer is if you had to pick one. Yeah, I'll go with the tougher one. You know, if I had to pick one, 
I think I would probably say producer, you know, I feel like I get to sort of experience a little bit of everything in that world. I love writing. I love, you know, I love shaping stories. I love telling stories. I feel like as a producer, you kind of get to do a lot of those things, um, you know, and, and yeah, I think I also enjoy the, 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 the idea of marshalling enormous forces together to, to sort of, you know, uh, have a common goal, a common story to tell. And there's something really wonderful about being on a film set and producing those films. And it's, you know, it's something I don't ever take for granted. Um, you know, so if I had to do one thing for the rest of my life, it might be producing. Cause I could kind of, I could still be marketing. I could still be making movies. I could still be telling stories and I could be doing it the way I, I love. So. Yeah, no, it's the, it's the combination. Ryan, again, uh, I so appreciate your time today. Thank you, Michael. It was an honest to God pleasure to sit and chat with you like this. This is this was a real treat for me. I really appreciate the conversation. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich.